following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Ephesians chapter 3, you might not hear me. Uh, we are um, getting ready, and by we, I mean me, um, so there's that, uh, getting ready to go to Israel in um, the end of the year. I had an opportunity to um, go to Israel with a, um, a, a church in Michigan, not because I don't like you guys any less, just because they were going to Israel and I wanted to go to Israel. And uh, Craig Clapper, a mentor, a friend of mine, said, Jordan, do you want to go to Israel? I said, yeah, that'd be great. We had our first kind of like team meeting, and uh, it's a Skype kind of interview deal without the video aspect of it. And they're still kind of feeling me out. There's like, I don't know, probably 14 people uh, that are going on this trip. They're all older than like 60, so it's me and a bunch of 60-year-olds, so I'm in my element. And um, uh, they're talking to me, and they're trying to get to feel me out, and, and, and they're like, Jordan... Um, can you just tell us, like, kind of what you do and, and who you are and, and, and what your church is like? And I said, yeah, my name is Jordan. And um, I said, we handle snakes at Community Gospel. <laughs> and they had, like, there's, it's dead silence, you know. <laughs> they're like, oh, I forgot to kiss my face, you know. They're, 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 like, they're like, oh. I was like, I'm just kidding. And, and Craig's trying to calm them down that everything's okay. <laughs> And it's, it's been cool getting, getting to know these, these people, you know, to see kind of the church more, more broad and uh, having the opportunities to sit down with them and, and just kind of connect. And we had, like I said, we had our first meeting and we were talking about some things that we need to know about Israel. Like, what do you need to know? And my big question was, what do you pack? You know, I, I'm like, what, what do I got to take? And they start walking through, like, you go to these websites and you get all this stuff and this information and these websites are crazy. Um, and and I'm, I just like, was really confused, and so I, I, I told my friend Craig, I said, Craig, can you just email me what I need to pack for Israel, because you've been there before, and he's like, he's like yeah, man, I can do that, no problem. He copy and paste the website <laughs> <laughs> into the email, and he said to me, uh, like, like, no, man, like, I'll f- forget it, I'll figure it out, you know, and then he sends me another email. He says, Jordan, I know that you asked, like, what to pack, and he said, um, he said, I gave you, like, items, like toiletries and pants and shirts and all that other stuff. He's like, but you know what? There's some things that you need to pack that are not on that list. I was like, all right, like what? And he's like, you need uh, to pack strength. You need to be strong. We're going to hike up some hills. Uh, you need to pack love, these people you don't know. You need to make sure that you're caring for them. And, and, and there's people that are older than, than us. And you need to make sure that you know that you're watching out for them. And you need to pack Um, kind of a soft heart and an open mind. And he's telling me all these kind of tangible or intangible things. And I've had him for a couple weeks, and I've been praying about him and just really realizing that when we go on a trip, when when we journey somewhere, we pack clothes and stuff like that. But there's other things that are intangibles that we take with us. Apostle Paul is going to write to the church of Ephesus. And he has laid a foundation for you and I in the first three chapters, all about the grace of God. We've talked about it, right? I mean, just over and over and over again, every single week for the past, however many weeks we've been talking about Ephesians. God's grace, 
God's great. Lavished his goodness upon us. He's a great God. And we sit in that text and we think to ourselves, so what? So what am I supposed to do with it? You get into verse or chapter 3 at the very end. And you realize that Paul is now going to pray for you and for me in such a way that he is going to give exact examples on how to live out that grace in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6. He's going to outline it very clearly, some really concrete things that you can do as a Christian to glorify God because of the grace that he has given to us. And he's going to walk through the text, and before he does it, he prays for you for the intangible things of your trip. Look at this in the text, in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, in verse 14, For this reason, in other words, all of the things that I wrote about God's grace, about his goodness, about uh, thanksgiving, about prayer, about um, having faith through the grace of God, being one in Christ, regardless of your ethnicity or your background or where you come from. He says, for this reason, this is why I wrote you, Jew and Gentile in Ephesus, but also this is why I write Community Gospel Church. This is why I write you specifically and your pastor. And this is why from generation to generation to generation, this is important. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. In other words, he's taking it seriously. I'm going to humble myself before God, bow my knee, and I am going to pray before the Father in heaven from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he realizes the ramifications for what he's about to say is going to affect the church of Ephesus and after the church of Ephesus and after that church and after that generation and after that generation to you and to me. It's huge. For this reason, I bow in you and I pray for you because there are things that you need to pack on the journey that I'm about to instruct you is critical for your life on how you can honor the Lord and lead the lost to a relationship with him. Jesus, your words, not mine. Your book, not mine. You speak in ways that I can't. Use me, a broken vessel, to speak into the hearts of not only just the people who are gathered here this morning, but to myself. On how critical and important this text is for us as we lay a foundation for the rest of the chapters that are to come, as well as for the life which you've called us to live. Can you do that, God? I know you can. I'm begging you to, to speak very clearly today to these people. I believe you can. Amen. All right. First thing, Paul says, chapter 3, for this reason, I bow my knee, and if you go into 16, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you strength with power through his spirit in your inner being. The first prayer that Paul has for you and for me, that is an intangible thing for us to pack in our Christian life, is a prayer for strength. If you're taking notes, it is a prayer that Paul prays very specifically that you would be strengthened. And let me show you where we get that from the text. In 16, he says, according to the riches of God's glory. What does he mean by that? What are the riches 
the God's glory. Well, essentially, he says the riches of God's glory are the gifts that he has given to us. He has lavished upon those gifts to a thousand generations. Uh, from generation to generation to generations, God has given us gifts. An abundance. Well, what does that mean? How, how, how abundantly has God given us his gifts? Or, or could we look at them in a tangible way? He says, you have more gifts given to you by God than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. If you were to take a walk on the beach in Bremen, you would see all the sand in the way that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Or if you were to watch the fireworks last night and look up in the sky between the bursts that happened, you would see the sky that is littered with stars that are reminders of God's gifts that he has given to us. They are in abundance. He says he has lavished according to his riches his glory that he might grant you strength. When you read that word strength, you initially think strong, big. It was funny, uh, we were moving a picnic table yesterday, and I was with a, a friend of mine who's, who's big, he's got muscles, and we we're moving this picnic table, you remember that? And the guy said, <clears throat> and the guy says to him, he's, he looks at me, and, and he, looks, he looks at Wes, and he says, this picnic table's heavy, because Wes is like, we don't want it to fly away, you know, if, if the wind comes, we don't want it to fly away. He goes, it's heavy. Pick it up. And he looks at us and he goes, I promise you, it's heavy. <laughs> so he says, he says I, I, we think strength is, is uh, this strength. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says what makes you strong is in here, your heart. If you were to live in the New Testament time frame, a man or a woman would look at each other, a human being, and they would say the heart is the center of a man, center of a woman. And they would say that is where your strength comes from. So Paul is affirming that strength is from the inner man. Well, what's he talking about there? He says, God, because of his lavished riches upon us, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sand in the sea, we have all of our inner strength, things like faith, trust, humility. All of those things come from the inside. And so Paul says here that he says, the riches of God's glory are to strengthen you internally through his spirit in your inner being. You change the inside, the outside changes. You change that which is in here, you change what people can see. You change that which is in here, that is the turmoil that takes place. You have an effect where other people can see the change happen. Let me see if I can illustrate this. We feed our kids, right? Last night, it was funny, we watched fireworks, and parents are over here playing volleyball, and there's a table full of pop, and what I watched was, I stood in uh, the garage, and I watched this take place, and I didn't do anything about it, so I'm sorry. <laughs> they, the kids come up, and they, they take the cup, and they put ice in the cup, and then they take the pop, and they open the pop, and they drink it, and they look over, and they're like, you know? And I'm watching Mountain Dew just go down in droves. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, probably not the most edifying thing in the world. They're not my kids. <laughs> and they're not staying here tonight, so I don't care. <laughs> now, if we let those kids continue on a steady diet of Mountain Dew or uh, one of the kids I, I thought was funny, there was 
uh, cupcakes there. And one of the kids says, Mom, can I have a muffin? Psyching her out, right? Mom, I want a muffin. That's not a muffin. That's a cupcake. And that is a good cupcake. So good for him for creativity points. If we were to give kids cupcakes and Mountain Dew all the time, what would they look like? Well, they wouldn't look very well nourished. The inside would be radically changed, which would affect the outer shell. Now, the same is true for us spiritually. When Paul says, I write for you, to you so that you would be strong, he says, I want you to work on the heart first and foremost. How do we work on the heart? We spend time in God's word. We spend time disciplining ourselves in prayer. We spend time with Christians, with the fellowship here. We make church a priority. We make Bible studies a priority. We make Christian relationships a priority. We make God a priority. We make his word and study of his word a priority. In the New Testament text, the rabbis of the day said specifically that the study of God was more important than prayer because the more you studied God's word, the more you would focus on praying and communicating to him. They hung those two things in the balance. And so my question is, how are you feeding yourself? Nourishing the inner man so that you would be strong for the journey that is to come. So many of us are in trials and tribulations. We're raising kids we're in jobs, and we think to ourselves, there's so much turmoil that's going on outside of ourselves. And maybe sometimes the turmoil that's going on on the outside is because we're praying for strength to get through it, but we're not praying for strength to stay current in it. That God would change us here to change what's taking place there. Paul's first prayer for the church is that you would be strong inside. That you would be disciplined, well-nourished, Brothers and sisters, you spend time in the word, you spend time in prayer, you spend time in fellowship, true fellowship, talking about the things of the Lord. Then he continues. He says in verse uh, seven, or excuse me, 18, he says, so that um, he, the power in his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. All right, let's go back to that. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Hold on a second, Paul. You're writing to Christians. You're not writing to non-believers. You're writing to Jews and Gentiles who have placed their faith and trust in God. Why would Paul write to Christians telling them that Christ, and a prayer for him, would be that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? Isn't Christ dwell in our hearts? Well, what he says here is, and the prayer would be that they remember the indwelling of Christ. What does he mean by that? Dwell means that Christ takes up permanent residence within you. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you don't say, God, here's a little condo in my heart, 10%, and you can live there. It's so nice. Let me tell you something. I got this little space for you in my heart, and it's awesome. It is prime property, and you stay there and let the other 90% of my heart just stay over here, and we'll be good. You don't do that. When we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, it doesn't mean that I'm a sinner in that 10% of my heart. It means I'm a sinner in the whole thing. I'm screwing up my life royally, let me tell you what. So we say Christ dwells permanent residence in your heart. Now, watch this. It also says that the heart, again, is the center of a person, the center of yourself. The song says Christ be the center of my life. Be the center, the thing in which everything else revolves. Is that your life? Is that my life? That Christ is so 
apparently in my life that I force everything else to revolve around him? You watch this with couples who have kids. They don't love each other anymore. They love their kids more than they love their spouse. They used to have their kids orbit around them. But now what they've done is they've fallen in love with their child and the child has come into the center and the spouse has gone to the outer and now the spouse orbits. That's not how it should be. We do that with Christ. We come to know him and we think, oh, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. And you get baptized and you come into the tank and people cheer for you and you go, yay, and then it gets quiet. And you go, well, maybe, maybe something else could fill that. Maybe there wasn't a void that was filled. And Jesus takes a back seat to whatever else is the idol of your heart. You still know him, but you've moved him outside. Lady walks into a bank one time and she says, I'd like to open up a, checking, a joint checking account. The good-looking young man behind the counter looks at her and says, absolutely, ma'am. Do you know with our joint checking accounts, they're 100% free? Absolutely. She says, do you know with those accounts that uh, the person that you're opening the account with has complete and utter access to your account? They can take out money however they want, whenever they want, how much ever they want. She says, yep, I understand that. He says, okay, do you still want to open up a joint checking account? She says, yep. She sits down, fills out the paperwork, slides it across the table. She says, you just have to fill out this, and then whoever you want to open up that joint account with. She leans back in her chair. She thinks to herself, hmm, who can I open up a joint checking account with? She looks at the guy. She says, who would you open up a joint checking account with? He says, well, I would open up a joint checking account with somebody that has a lot of funds, a lot of access. She says, that sounds good. I'll take that. Slides the paper back across to him, right? He's kind of puzzled. Jesus opens up a joint checking account with you when you trust Christ. And you have access to his funds, all of them. As numerous as stars in the sky, and as numerous as the sand on the shore. Do you go and access the account in which you have access to half? Do we do that? That's Paul's prayer for you and for me, is that you would go back and take deposits out of the account that has been entrusted to your care. That you would go daily to God's word to take out and, and pull out some of these things to say, this is where it comes into my life and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to grab into that account so that I can be enriched, so I can be blessed. That's what he says when he says, remember, Christ dwells within you. Remember, you have a joint checking account with the creator and you have access to it whenever you want. And Paul says, <clears throat> for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. According to the riches of the glory that he would grant you to be strengthened from the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So that you being rooted and grounded. Those are two words there. In love. I would circle all three of those. Rooted and grounded in love. Third prayer. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, if you were reading that in the New Testament, you would have an image of a tree, uh, technically an olive tree. Jesus had all, uh, there was olive trees all over the place. And olive trees are kind of um, interesting because an olive tree in, in Jewish time period, you can see the root system. It's on the top, actually. And a lot of the root system does, it goes into the ground, but the majority of it you can see. You have to climb over the root system, actually. And you would see the health of the tree comes from the root system. Now, it was funny. Uh, I was sitting and talking to my daughter, Gianna, who's my youngest daughter. I said, 
So, John, what do you think when you think of the word rooted? And she, like a good kid, said, Dad, that's Colossians. And I said, whoa, yes, you're learning. Awesome. And she goes, and I said, what do you mean, John? She said, uh, it's Colossians. Uh, she says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And you will be, uh, you will be thankful and you'll be blessed. And she just keeps rattling off the verse. And I go, that's it. You got it. That's exactly what it means. And she says, and your lives will, be, will overflow with thankfulness. And I said, out of the mouth of young babes, they preach great sermons. <laughs> May your lives be rooted in him. May they grow down deep into his word so that you will be overflowing with thankfulness. That's what it means to be rooted in Jesus Christ. That the root system is so deep that it forces its way out of the ground that people can see it. And the health of the tree is clearly evident. People say that about you in your life? Man, you must be rooted and grounded in something. I can see it. You don't, you don't, you don't get shaken. An olive tree doesn't move in the wind. What about with the trials and tribulations of your life? Death of a loved one? Situations going on with your kids? Maybe it's your job, something that's happening at the workforce. If Christ is the one who is rotating, or if Christ is the one who is at the center and he's not rotating, everything else goes like this. Christ is at the center. When Christ is at the center, we're rooted, unshaken. But he also says you're grounded. What does grounded mean? I'll ask John the same question. John, you got rooted right? What is Grounded me. So when you have to go to your room, and you can't come out. And that's when, that's when you can't play with anybody either. I said, no, not true. I said, grounded means like a building. And we talk about buildings. And if you go to Chicago, for example, you'll see these huge high uh, buildings. You ask somebody about them. You say, what makes the building able to stand? You can't see the foundation underneath is deep. It goes way, way, way down. And we see that the stronger the foundation is, the more the tower can be tall. Perhaps it's the same with you and I in our life. Maybe sometimes we don't climb to new heights spiritually because we fail to have strong roots and deep cellars. God, why don't you promote me in the corporate ladder? Because your root system still needs work and your foundation has yet to be poured. God, why can't my kids be smarter? Because the root system is still taking root and the foundation needs to be secure. Why can't my husband or my wife just get it? Why don't they just get it? Why don't they just understand? This is who I am. This is the way I'm cut. Because you haven't showed or exposed your root system or the foundation that was poured. There has to be transparency sometimes. Paul's prayer for us is first and foremost that you would be strong internally. That you would remember that Christ dwells in you. And that that root system and foundation is what is needed in order to progress. We have to be careful with that word progress. Because our... 
culture says, if we progress, then, oh, we're, we're making strides. And some of the most spiritual people that I know are not doing well by earth standards, society standards. Paul says that you would be rooted and grounded. Now, he continues here. Watch this. He says, 18, and that strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. So what he says is essentially how, how wide and how deep and how long, all those things that you can't comprehend. That's God's love for us. And there's so many sermons out there that, that are on this. And so I asked my kids again. We were laying on the couch. And uh, I asked them at the dinner table uh, as well. And I, I said, I wonder how much my kids love me. So I asked them, John Kareen, how much do you love Daddy. How wide? How wide do you love daddy? This much, daddy, this much, this much, love this much. To, to, what did he say? Infinity. He said weird stuff. I don't even remember. He said, I said, how long will you love me? How long will you love me? Long time, right? Uh, what, about, what about how deep do you, uh, how tall do you love me? And Kareem looked at me, she said, to the heavens. So I started feeling really good about myself, right? And I started thinking about it. When I ask my kids, how, how wide do you love me, how long do you love me, how tall do you love me, all that other stuff, they, they couldn't put it into words. Why couldn't they put it into words? They're, they're intellectual children. They should know that we educate them with the public schooling system. Come on. Why don't they get it? Because they can't put into words how much they love dad. They don't know. They have no, they have no comprehension. They're like, dad, I don't know. You're asking me crazy stuff. Like, why would you ask me those things? You know that I love you. Can't you just, can't you just uh, harbor on the fact that I love you and we'll move on and let me get on your shoulders and I do flip off of it. That'd be awesome, right? Or how about you throw us on the bed? That's cool. Like, they can't comprehend their love for their dad. And nor can we comprehend God's love for us. We, like children, look at God. We say, God, how much do you love me? And we try to compartmentalize it. And we try to put it into little boxes. We say, God, how much do you love me? And God says, you can't even fathom the ways that I love you. You can't even fathom the ways that I have given you every spiritual blessing. You can't even fathom it. They're more than the stars in the sky, more than the, the, the sand on the shore. You can't, you can't imagine how much that I love you. And you can't imagine, as he says here in the text, of how much I desire that you be rooted and grounded in all my blessings that I've given to you. Because I have plans for you. I know the plans I have for you. Now watch the fourth one. He says, 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Two words. Knowledge, first of all. Knowledge, if you were reading this in that time period, Knowledge is the intimate relationship with God. You would have immediately thought about Adam and Eve walking in the garden. And he says the knowledge of God, he says you have the knowledge that it is capable for mankind to walk with God. It's possible for man to walk with God. He says you have that knowledge. Look at that. To know knowledge, the love of Christ, that God wants a relationship with you. And the knowledge surpasses that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What does he mean by filled? He says essentially that you lack nothing in the relationship once you're filled with God. Well, what does that mean? He says when I have your full attention, 
And when you seek me, you will know it up here and you will also know it here. And then we are able to take the next steps. How's, what's the next steps? 20. Now, all knowing all that, Paul's big prayer for you. Prayer for inner strength. Prayer to, be, to remember the dwelling of Christ. Prayer to be rooted and grounded. Prayer to be full. Now what? What do we do with it? Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. When we pray the prayer that Paul prays, there is a power that is working at us that is greater than ourselves. For those of you who have small children, that means that there is a power that's working in you greater than your parenting abilities. If you seek God's word, if you implement God's word accordingly and you press those truths into their heart, they'll get it. Because you're leaning on the Lord in prayer. For those of us who own businesses, things get out of control and they go all over the place. Now unto him who is capable to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine, he is able to do those things. Best way out is always through. So he's looking at you and he's saying, do you trust me? With all that I have given or entrusted you. For those of us in our marriages, what does that mean? That means that when we get to the point where we think this is unsavable, there's no way. God is able to save us. All that he is able to do according to his purpose and his will far more abundantly than we could ever have. What about if, if I lose a loved one? What about if, if my health is deteriorating? What if I find myself in a state where I can't go on anymore. What do I do? Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's a foundational prayer for the rest of the journey. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout generation to generation to generation forever and ever and ever. Amen. Do you have that type of faith and trust that God is at work within you? Do you believe those things? Is that the foundational prayer that you pray in the morning? That God, you got to grant me some inner strength. I know that you're able to do it far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. God, I know that you dwell in my hearts and you're at work in my life far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. God, I understand that you want me to be rooted and grounded and on my own strength, I can't do that, so I'm gonna seek your word because I know that you can do it far more abundantly than I would ever ask or imagine. God, I know that you can fill me in a way far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. And that is the foundational prayer for everything else you do. So you who parent, it's the foundation for your kids that you would lean on the Lord and give him control. Those of us who are marriage, that you would relinquish your control and let God work. Those of us who are in jobs, that you would relinquish your control, be a good steward, let God work. Far more abundantly than you could ever ask or imagine. In chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he's going to get very, very specific with detailed instructions on what we are to do as Christians. But he doesn't go there without a foundation of prayer. No. We got to the uh, 
kitchen table the other night, and I look at Bethany, and I said, I said, hon, I'm stuck. She's like, what? What are you stuck with? I said, I can't think of a clever way to start the sermon. I can't think of a clever way to finish the sermon. I said, I got to tell a really clever, interesting story to bring it all together. What do you think? She said, I don't know. It's your job. It's not my job. You do it. I said, okay. She said, I tell you what. What if we closed out the service because I gave her all four points and I explained them in detail and two hours later we were done. And she says, that's good. That's, a, that's good. She says, what if you just gave people an opportunity just to pray themselves for one of those things? She says, we don't do that enough. We don't spend enough time in prayer. We don't just sit for a second and let ourselves talk to God and more importantly, let God talk to us. What if you just closed it that way? And I said, oh, I like the story idea. But the more I'm thinking about it, that's the close of the message. Now it's on you. You're on a trip. As a Christian, you have the opportunity. Now, with your week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the things that are in front of you uh, for the rest of this week, those are yours. I don't know your, your struggles and things that are going on. But I know that God is capable and able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. So we're just going to take a moment and be still. And that you would ask God maybe for one of these things. God, I need strength. I need your help to discipline me to get into your word. God, I know that you dwell in my heart, and I get that, but I don't remember that every single day. God, I don't know if I'm really grounded or rooted. Could you reveal some ways that would help me do that this week? Or maybe, God, I'm just empty. Just here, marriage is rough, kids are rough, jobs are rough, life's rough. I just need to be full. Would you fill me with a peace that passes all understanding? Let me pray for you. God, so many of us, so many different situations. And Paul lays down this amazing prayer for us to participate in. It's not a command. It's a blueprint for us to follow. And we know that you are able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And every single one of us, even though we've confessed and believed that you alone are our Lord and Savior, find ourselves here in this place. And we all come to you in different ways. We come to you through Jesus Christ, but our circumstances are different. Our kids are different. Our marriages are different. Our jobs are different. We find ourselves in a situation where we just need to seek your face. And in the quietness of the sanctuary, I would pray that you'd seek God's face. You would pray to him. Reveal the root system, the thing that's really on your heart. Maybe give him the other 90% if you've only been giving him 10. Maybe you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you need to do that in the quietness of the sanctuary. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.